Yeah, I don't like flying, and everybody thinks that's funny because I have to get on an airplane and spend about 24 hours on an airplane to go to Southeast Asia. But I, I like cave. I like spelunking and everything. And uh, when you read and study about the history of caving or spelunking, you'll find that many of those caves were uh, discovered and explored way back in the day before they had some of the modern technology that we have today. And uh, I want to illustrate with you a little bit about how it used to be done in those days. And back in the day when you would find a cave and uh, somebody would have to volunteer to go down into the hole. And they would have a little light that they would hold up for the light. And see, it would be, they would be dependent upon somebody at the other end of the rope. All right? I don't know how many of you have ever been to um, uh, 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 Silver Dollar City down in Branson, Missouri, but they have a cave there that when you first step down into, it, it is a stairway that goes down and down and down. And I don't know, it's, it's 100, 150 feet, something like that, that you go down. And when you first uh, get on the landing, they turn on the lights, and that's when you realize how high up you are and how far down and how big that initial room is. And then they start telling you about how that cave was initially discovered and explored and how that somebody had to be lowered down into that. If you go and you see that big open spot and how somebody had to be lowered down in there 150, 200 feet and how they had a light. Hey, can I tell you, the guy on this end of the rope sure hopes that the people on this end of the rope are going to do their job. Alright? Alright, so Grant, just stay right there with me. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a man named William Carey. William Carey is a man that we refer to as the father of modern missions. And many years ago, uh, he was uh, uh, at a meeting with several other ministers back in the day, and they had a roundtable discussion. And in that, he asked the question to many older ministers that were there. Back in those days, uh, many of the pastors and the reverence and the ministers, they felt like Acts 1-8 was an apostolic commission. In other words, it was a commission given to the apostles and not passed down to us. And he posed the question, is that really an apostolic commission or did God intend for us to go into all the world and to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? And an older pastor looked at him and said, Mr. Carey, uh, when God pleases to convert the heathen, He will do it without your aid or mine. Now that started a 10-year battle for him to convince his fellow Baptist ministers. He was a Baptist. It took a 10-year battle for him to convince other Baptist ministers to help him start the Baptist Missionary Society, which they did in 1792. And when they started it and they formed it, they looked and they, put, they prayed and they picked the country of India as the place in which they were going to start. Their first place that they were going to branch out to and get the gospel to. And um, Andrew Fuller wrote this about the, that first Baptist Missionary Society. He said, we saw in India a great gold mine of souls, but it seemed almost as deep as the center of the earth. And who would venture into it to explore it? And William Carey's reply was, I am willing to go down into the deep shaft, but you, my brethren, must 
hold the ropes for me. See, Carrie said, you need somebody to go to India. I am the one that convinced you that Acts 1-8 is not just an apostolic commission, but it is given to every single one of us. And so I will volunteer to be the one to go into India. But he said, if we view it as a great gold mine and a deep shaft of souls, then that means I've got to be lowered down into that with this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine, but I need some that will hold the rope while I'm being lowered down See, God will put it on the hearts of those who are willing to go to the Ghana Africas or the Southeast Asias or wherever it may be. But may I say, for those who are not called to go to those places, those who are called need people like you to be here in churches like this and hold the ropes for us. All right? Now, look with me if you would in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Look with me if you would down in, in verse number, um, uh, let's start in verse number 21. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 21, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And again, he has finished up in chapter number 10. And, and he's, he's encouraging them and he's reminding them that, that uh, hey, listen, would you bear with me? He says that in verse number 1. And then he reminds them, I took wages of other churches to come to you, to share the gospel with you. But in verse number 21, he is writing and he says, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, when in soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. Now, he begins writing now a whole list of things that he has uh, 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 experienced and gone through in his life as a missionary. And he says here in verse number um, uh, 23, uh, in, in labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequent and deaths oft of the Jews five times, I re, uh, uh, five times received I 40 stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, and journeyings often, and perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils by my own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. Do you, do you get the perils? All right. And he says in verse 27, In weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my, uh, mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. Now notice the next two verses. He gives you this whole laundry list of everything that he goes through. But he makes reference in the last two verses of something that happened in the very beginning of his Christian life. In verse 32, he says, In Damascus, the governor under Artesis, the king, kept the city of Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. 
and through a window in the basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Now I want you to look, look with me in verse 23. He's talking about stripes and prisons and death. In verse 24, he's talking about five times being whipped with stripes. By the way, I want to point out to you, because those were the Jews that, that whipped him the 39 times. All right? there, was, there was an Old Testament Jewish law that said you could not whip a man more than 40 stripes without due process. And so the Jews would always whip someone 39 times. I say that to remind you it was not the Jews that whipped our Savior. It was the Romans. The Romans were not bound by any Old Testament or any Judaic law. They whipped our Savior within an inch of His life. I've heard many people talk about Jesus being whipped with 39 stripes of the cattail. And I said, no, 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 no. We're mixing up the Jews with the Romans. The Romans would have beat him within an inch of his life. And yet they were still amazed that he carried his cross on the way to Golgotha. And we say many times that Simon, they came upon Simon and they laid his cross upon Simon. But no, if you read John's Gospel account of that, they were so amazed that Jesus was still carrying the cross they got Simon to come behind Jesus and pick up the back load and in so doing it put more burden upon Jesus than less burden because I want to say to you our Savior could carry His own cross because if He couldn't carry His own cross He can't carry our burdens and He is able to carry our burdens but in verse number 25, he says three times he's been beaten with rods. Once he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked. A night and a day in the deep of the sea. Verse 26, all the perils, the weariness, the painfulness, the hunger, the thirst, the fastings, the cold, the nakedness. And verse 27, but he closes out all of that with a story that happened when he was a newly saved man. From Acts chapter 25. Now keep your spot in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and flip over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now you know Acts chapter number 9 is the chapter in which the Apostle Paul gets saved. He is still known as Saul. And look down with me if you would in verse number, uh, 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 in verse number 23. Verse 22, Paul increased the more in strength, confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this was the very Christ, and that after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying awake was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Saul, as he is still known at this time, has been the one that was going and hailing men and women, putting them into prison to kill him. And now wait a minute, he's the one that's being hailed. He is the one that's being hunted. He is the one that's being sought after. The one that was the persecutor has now become the persecuted. And yet, throughout this, he didn't, uh, by the way, he didn't find Christians on the road to Damascus. He found the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank God for that. But from Damascus, we find this story that he is there. And boy, he is preaching Christ. And, and you know, they're, they're so amazed and they're so infuriated because this is the one that they gave letters to to go persecute this, this sect these people called the Christians and yet he becomes one of them and so they are searching and they are hunting for him and yet he has a group of people that what do they do? They let him down from the wall. They held the rope for it. Hey, this was Saul. They didn't know he was going to later on become the Apostle Paul. All right? 
But this is one of the greatest examples from these two passages of Scripture and from this illustration of what you as a local church do when you partner with your missionaries around the world because they are the ones that are being lowered into places that are dark with the sin of Satan. Hey, listen to me. In Thailand alone, 95% of the people in Thailand are Buddhist. 4% profess to be Islamic or of the Muslim faith. And less than half a percent profess to be Christian. Less than half a percent of 68 million people. I told folks, I don't have to go very far out in front of our place to run into people that are lost. I don't have to hunt very far to find somebody that's willing to allow me to talk to them about Jesus Christ. But can I say, there are times that when you're places like that and you understand the spiritual wickedness and the warfare around you, that you realize the darkness that is encompassing around you and you feel like you're being lowered down like William Carey did into a dark shaft and you're saying, this little light of mine, I'll let it shine. Well, boy, I sure do hope somebody's holding the ropes for me. I want to give you several things tonight about the example of these that held the rope for the Apostle Paul. I want you to look back with me, if you would, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we're going to look down at verse number 32. And Grant, thank you so much. You're missing the whole message. Just standing there. You're doing a good job. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look with me in verse 32. He says, In Damascus, the governor under Artesis, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison with a garrison. I have studied that word garrison out and you know the only thing that I can come up with of what they determine a garrison is is a garrison is however many number soldiers that the commander determines needs be for that situation. Well the Bible tells me that the whole city was being kept by a garrison. That means there were a lot of soldiers. They were going around. They were hunting. They were looking for one man, Saul. So let me ask you a question. This is the most hunted man in Damascus. Turn around and look at him. Let him see. Turn around. Let him look at you. This is the most hunted man in Damascus right now. This is Saul. Anybody want to touch him with a 10-foot pole? But there was a risk that they took themselves. Hey, when you get involved in faith promise missions given, when you get partnered up with missionaries around the world, you're going to take a risk as well. You're going to take a risk because you're going to make a pledge to God. And, and, and listen to me, if you're brand new to this and you think, wow, this is going to be great, I hate to break the news to you, but God's going to put you to the test whether you're going to trust Him or not. You're going you're to make a commitment. You go, whoo, this is great. I'm trusting God. And then a week from now, a month from now, three months from now, something's going to happen and the pinch is going to be put on and you're going to be going, hmm, why did I make that commitment? There's a risk that you're going to take. There's a risk that they took holding the ropes. Can you imagine what it would have been like if they'd been holding the rope and letting Saul down, out, down the wall and the guard come walking by? You know what this is called? This is called being an accomplice. What, what he gets penalized with, I'm going to get penalized with. You know why? Because I'm holding the rope. 
And there is a risk. I, I don't want you to come into this. I don't want you to make decisions in just a few moments. I don't want it to be an emotional high. I want it to be a prayerful decision. And I want you to realize there is always a risk that we take Humanly speaking, you read that list of all that the Apostle Paul went through in his life, and yet the Bible says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to go to work, and boy, you're going to be excited because after all, we're doing more than we could. We're going beyond our power to get the gospel out. And your co-workers are going to be going, What are you so excited about? And you're going to share it with them, and they're going to look at you. Yeah, and they're going to say, are you crazy? Man, you give 10% to that church, now you give them more. Are you crazy? And then there's going to be some setback, and they're going to come to you, and they're going to say, I told you you were crazy. There's a risk that they took. Hey, folks, listen to me. I, I, I'm not trying to discourage you. But I want you to understand there is a risk that is going to be on your part. They risk being discovered by the soldiers as well as Saul being discovered. Hey, listen, whatever it is that we do for the Lord Jesus Christ, we may go through trials, we may go through tribulations here, but may I say, we are doing it for an eternal reward. It will be fruitful. Hey, listen, you do something and you do it for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the gospel's sake, there is going to be fruit that remains. Aren't you thankful that somebody shared the gospel with you? You think maybe whatever you do, that they feel like they're clipping coupons? So, Brother Hall, what in the world do you mean? I'm talking about the fact that, you know, my pastor in 1977... When he come to our house, 2555 Old Villarica Road in Powder Springs, Georgia, he wasn't looking at somebody who was going to be a future pastor, a future missionary. He was looking at a little seven-year-old boy. Well, I tell you what, right now, I was with him last October. He stood up publicly, had me give my testimony again, and he says, boy, I sure am enjoying clipping coupons. There's a risk that they took. There's a risk that you're going to take. Look back with me if you would in Acts chapter number 9. I want you to notice something. Number 2, the obscurity that they have. The obscurity that they have. Look in verse 25. It says, then the, what's the next word? Disciples took him by night. Does it tell us who he is? Who they are? No. No. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 doesn't tell who they are. Hey, nowhere do we have recorded in Scripture who these rope holders were. There's an obscurity. Brother Michael preached this morning, taught this morning in Sunday school from Esther about the messengers. Hey, the Bible doesn't ever say who those messengers were. Hey, the Bible doesn't tell us who those disciples were. There's an obscurity. And there's times that we as Christians feel like, does anybody know what I'm doing for the Lord? Yes, He does. He does. Nobody knew who those rope holders were. Nobody knows who those disciples were. But may I say, God knows who they are. 
And may I remind you that He couldn't do what He did in the days ahead without these who were willing in their obscurity to be those disciples on the wall that says, hey, nobody has to know who I am, but boy, I tell you what, I'm willing to hold the rope to help a Saul get away from here because Saul became Paul and Paul took the gospel into the known world. Hey, but it wouldn't have happened if somebody hadn't held the rope. And there was an obscurity, an unknownness. Hey, your pastor's going to know who you are. But may I say to you, there's times that we serve week in and week out, day in and day out here in the church. And there's times, humanly, that we start thinking, you know, does anybody know what I do around here? God does. God does. And folks, listen to me. Far better than getting a pat on the back from the pastor is the one day when we're going to get that pat on the back from the Savior. When we hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You like steak? I I talked about steak. You like steak? Amen. I like steak. Glory to God. You know what? I like steak well done. Well done. Yeah. Y'all are looking at me going, ah. Well done. Hey, there is a thoroughness in well done. And the Savior is going to say, well done. There is a thoroughness to what we do and who we do it for. If we're doing it so that He recognizes, we get our reward. If we do it week in and week out, year in and year out, decade in and decade out, Boy, I still love, Dr. Evans used to always say, Christianity is not measured in days, weeks, years. It is measured in decades. Hey, listen to me. Saul became faithful for decades. Those disciples, there's an obscurity that they had. May I say to you, it's not about who knows my name and it's not about who knows your name. It's about the fact that he knows my name. Amen? There's an obscurity that they face. May I say, number three, not only that, but the heroism that they had. You know, look with me, and were you still in Acts chapter number 9? In Acts chapter number 9, look with me again in verse number 25. May I say to you, the work of God, the work of the Great Commission, and the work of the Gospel going out is shouldered by everyday common folk just like you and I. The Bible says the common people heard Him gladly talking about the Savior. Most of the work that gets done, gets done by common folk. But in verse number 25, the heroism that they had, it says in verse number 25, then the disciples took Him when? By night. By night. Now, I want you to understand, this wasn't sunset. This wasn't sunset when they were out there. You know the best time to catch a guard sleeping who's supposed to be on watch is after the midnight hour. Right? Now, now, the heroism that they faced, they gave up some sleep as well. They took some risk as well. But they were heroes because they understood and realized that when they put him in the basket and lowered him down, they became accomplices. They were partnered up with Saul. And if he was caught, they were caught. 
hey, it's not just your missionaries that are heroes. Can, can I say this? I'm going to say it whether you give me permission to or not. We go into churches and I hear people uh, praise us and, you know, boy, they're, they're heroes, they're heroes, they're heroes. No, you don't know who heroes are? Heroes are the people that decide they're going to be in church year in and year out, that they're going to be faithful. Heroes are the Brother Allen that have been here for years and years and years. Matter of fact, I think Brother Allen kind of helped uh, Davy Crockett kind of settle Tennessee back in the day. Amen. Bro- heroes are Brother Hopper who's been here 37 years. 35 years. The church has been in existence 40 years and he's been here 35 out of those. You know, you know what heroes are to missionaries? Heroes are whenever you come back around on furlough four or five years later and you see the same people serving the same places. Just keep on keeping on. And then you walk away and you go, hey, I... I don't have to worry about who's holding the rope for me at Calvary Baptist Church. Because he's been here 35 years. He's been here since Davy Crockett helped settle Tennessee. He's been here. He's been here. Why? Because you look and you realize that moreover it's required in stewards that a man be, can be found faithful. You know, I realized something a long time ago. There are a whole lot better preachers than me. I found out a long time ago there are a whole lot better uh, pulpiteers than me. I found out a whole lot time, a long time ago there are a lot of people smarter than me. But I also found out this. It doesn't take nothing but a willingness to be faithful week in and week out to be faithful and to serve God because through the years those that are depending upon their talent and abilities and may not have the character oh if I'm willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and follow Him no matter what the things that He opens the door for us to do. But you need folks who are willing to hold the rope. You're rope holders tonight, folks. You're rope holders. Somebody's got to hold the rope. And your missionaries, boy, they love and appreciate you more than what you realize. Because they understand they can't be lowered down into the shaft of darkness with their little light shining unless somebody is back home holding the rope for them. Are you with me tonight? Let me give you this last thought and then we'll go get some ice cream. Amen. And notice with me in verse number, uh, uh, in verse number, uh, Acts chapter number 9 again, in verse number 25, it says, Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall. I want you to notice the faith that they have. The faith that they have. Oh, boy, don't tell anybody I tore up the bush. All right, now help me out. Acts chapter number 9. Who is this? Saul. He is known as Saul at this time. Now, now tell me, what great missionary journey has he gone on? Tell me the kings that he has preached to. Tell me the great works that he has done so far. None. There's a faith that they took in being willing to hold the rope for an unknown Saul. To them, they were still going, this is the guy that persecuted all of us just a little while ago. let's, Let's be honest and let's be human. Saul comes in and professes that he's saved. You're still wondering whether or not he's a... 
because when he got to Jerusalem, it took Barnabas to vouch for him before the apostles would let him in to know who the disciples were there in Jerusalem. There was a faith that these disciples took with this guy right here at this point in his ministry. Can I say this? You're going to have times that you're going to have missionaries come through and they're just starting out. They're, they're fresh out of Bible college and they're on deputation because, boy, they're ready to go turn the world upside down for God because God has called them. But may I say, there may still be a little unproven. And there's a faith that's going to be required by you to be willing to hold the ropes for them. Now I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. Even if you take faith in someone that's unproven, and you say, well, they washed out, you don't know what it's like. If one person gets saved, we sing, it will be worth it all. Right? And we talk about, if just one more soul. I've seen some of the young and older missionaries, pastors, preachers, blow it. Mess up and get out of the ministry. I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I still rejoice in those lives that were saved by their preaching the gospel, those lives that were changed by their faithfulness during those years, but there's a faith that is required by those who hold the rope. They let him down by a basket. There were only two positions on the wall that night. It was either get in the basket or it was hold the rope. I say to you tonight, either get in the basket or hold the rope. There are those that are in the basket and they need somebody to hold the rope. Maybe God's calling you to get in the basket. You say, no, 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 God's calling me to my job here and to be faithful here. Great, then there are those of us that are in the basket that are begging and hoping that you'll hold the ropes. Our Heavenly Father.